Hi everyone, before we go ahead and get started, I just want to give a quick content warning. This game contains themes of trauma, particularly the sorts of trauma commonly experienced by queer people of marginalized genders. The game materials itself contain gore, nudity, and sexuality, and uh, please be warned that this arc will likely touch on themes of grief, trauma, sexuality, mental illness, and violence. So we'll continue to give content warnings throughout. If that sounds like that's going to be a bad time for you, then go ahead and tune in next time for a more standard arc for the Eternity Archives. There is a library that exists at the Nexus where all other universes collide. Inevitably, things wind up there by mistake. Books, artifacts, people. This is the place where things from all universes end up when they get lost. This is the Eternity Archives. Thanks so much for listening. This is the Eternity Archives, an actual play tabletop RPG podcast where we play librarians uh, in a multi-dimensional library, bringing stability and order to the multiverse. My name is Ziva. My pronouns are she, her, and I play Linda, the adorable human office lady. We are going to be playing a game called Dungeon Bitches this time around, which is going to be very exciting and a little different. One of the major themes of Dungeon Bitches is secrets and sort of the internal lives of our characters. So we're going to be getting deep and dark. But let's go ahead and start off something a little bit lighter. uh, And then I'll let my co-hosts introduce themselves. So we're going to go ahead and talk about uh, some secrets. So one of Linda's secrets that she's going to take to her grave is that she makes an (laughs) awesome chocolate cherry cake and she tells everyone that it's from scratch. It's not from scratch. It's just cherry pie filling and chocolate cake mix, but she'll never tell. So out of everyone who's tried her chocolate cherry cake, no one has figured out that it's just store filling? No. Oh my gosh. She brings it to potlucks all the time. Oh, and everyone's like, oh my God, that's amazing. You need to give me your recipe. And she's like, nah, uh, uh. Mm -hmm. Exactly. (laughs) Secret family recipe. Yeah. (laughs) I found out that that was the case for my Grammy's enchilada recipe, and I've never been the same. Oh. Okay, what was it made of? Is it store-bought? Yeah, it's just the store-bought enchilada sauce. (laughs) I mean, there is really really good store-bought enchilada sauce. But it's also just the recipe on the back of the enchilada sauce can. No. That's amazing. <laughs> I know Dorka hasn't really watched Friends. Uh, Ziva, have you watched Friends? No. Okay. All right. Well, it just reminds me, there's an episode where Monica and Phoebe are both trying to like figure out Phoebe's grandmother's like secret chocolate chip cookie recipe. And she's like French and it's like, you know, supposed to be this big deal. And at the end of the episode, they realize that they spent the entire time trying to like backwards engineer the like single cookie she had left. And it was just a recipe from the back of a, a Nestle Toll House bag, like bag of chocolate <laughs> chips. Hey, that's my chocolate chip cookie recipe. <laughs> it's a good chocolate chip cookie recipe. Anyway, that's just always what it makes me think of. 
Hey everyone, my name is Bappy. My pronouns are they, them. Uh, my character is Real Day Jaquel, who is a little baby tiefling, not really baby, adult baby, I guess. That's no, Ew, don't say rephrase that. that. Yeah, <laughs> rephrase that now. <laughs> oh God, okay. Uh, oh no, now I'm caught flat footed. I don't know what to say. Um, cinnamon roll. Okay, yes, they're a baby cinnamon roll who is legally an adult. <laughs> Whew. My secret is uh real is short for something that is not like the name that is printed on their birth certificate their legal name first name is actually amaryllis <laughs> so that's where the real is from oh it's kind of like an interesting combination of letters where it's like if you put a y in it people are like oh yeah that's just fantasy bullshit but no it's from a real word <laughs> <laughs> There's a variety of amaryllis called the Ziva amaryllis. Fun oh fact. my gosh. I know. Wow. Crazy. I'm in full circle here. Uh, yeah. Oh shit. This is amazing. <laughs> this is this was all meant to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so hi, I'm Dorka. My pronouns are she, her. My character is Zen, the kick-ass lizard princess. And um, her secret is that she's really kind of skeeved out by snakes. Because, you know, <laughs> snakes, they, they kind of look like her, but they also don't have any arms or legs. And that bothers her more than she cares to admit. So Okay, wait. So do they have snakes where she's from? Of course they have snakes. That's why she's bothered by them. Okay, well, yeah, I know. But it's like, sorry, the imagery of this is so funny to me because it's like, Okay, this is like me, but it has no arms and legs, and I don't like that. And that's, you know, to a degree, that's reasonable. I just imagine trying to like parallel that to like humans. So, like, if a human was like afraid of like a monkey or something, but it was like snake shaped, I guess there's this like an accurate oh, parallel. That'd to be that. horrifying. Yeah, wouldn't that be horrible? To be fair, yes, that would be horrifying. Oh. Okay, um, I need to stop thinking about armless, legless chimpanzees. Wait, wait, wait. I do have, sorry, one more question. Okay, so like, you know, that is like kind of a common fear, even with people. Snakes, that is not not armless monkeys. <laughs> it should be. So is this a common fear for other lizard people in Zen's world where they're just like, oh, snakes are weird because they're just armless, legless me's? No, no, I think that's mostly just her. It's just a Zen thing? Okay. Which is why it's a secret. <laughs> All right, so now that we've gone ahead and uh, talked about some character secrets, uh, let's go ahead and talk a little bit more about Dungeon Bitches, which is an excellent name. I'm very excited about this one. Dungeon Bitches is a new TTRPG uh, by a studio known as Dying Stylishly Games. Uh, and it was designed and authored by Emily Allen, who is an any award winner. So she has been at this um, quite a while. It was kickstarted back in February, and it is a dungeon exploration game built off of Powered by the Apocalypse. If you've been listening to the Eternity Archives for a while, um, Monster of the Week is also a game built on the Powered by the Apocalypse system. So there's going to be some familiar feeling mechanics here, even though the flavor and the world are very, very different, like almost about as different as they could be. <laughs> and, yeah, and this probably will not be the last uh, Powered by the Apocalypse inspired system we are going to be doing because there is a lot out there and they're all very cool and good. And different. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So a little bit more about um, some of the specifics 
stuff about Dungeon Bitches. It's not just a dungeony exploration, dungeon crawling game. Um, it's also specifically built around player characters who are assumed to be women who are attracted to other women and don't have a place in sort of the polite medieval fantasy society. So it's got a lot of these themes of like societal rejection of queer women specifically. It is important to note that it is like right off the bat designed for queer women who are attracted to other women, but it also acknowledges in a few places throughout that the definitions of women and queer aren't necessarily clear cut. And so they don't have to be defined in binary ways. It's not a game just for cis lesbians. They they talk quite a bit about what queer means and what gender identity means and, and how your body relates to the game. So if you're, you know, like a non-binary lesbian and you're hearing this and you're like, oh, I don't know if there's a place in there for me. This game really does try to do its best to open up the definitions of what women and what queer mean to encompass a lot of different people who would not fit into a like strict binary um, straight medieval fantasy society. Before we get into the discussion too much, just a couple of disclaimers about this game. Um, You heard our content warning at the beginning of the episode. Just to reiterate, the game materials itself do include gore, nudity, and sexuality. And throughout this whole arc, we're going to be talking about things like grief, trauma, sexuality, mental illness, and violence. Um, So just another heads up there. If that's not your thing, feel free to skip ahead or to skip to our next chapter. Um, We'll be happy to have you back when it's a little more comfortable for you. Also, at the time of this recording, um, we only have the playtest version, not the full game, but by the time that the episode is released, the full game should be available. So there may be some slight differences between the final game and what you hear here. And then finally, um, Emily and her team actually reached out and asked us to play this game, which is um, very cool. Like we're really honored. But you know, if you're a disclosures kind of person, do keep that in mind throughout this episode. I just think the important thing to note there is that like we didn't receive any sort of compensation other than like a copy of the playtest version of the game. And so like our opinions are our own. Yes. Thank you, Dorka. That's much more elegant than what I said. I just wanted to touch a little bit more on the gender component, since obviously that, you know, affects me and Rill, I guess, specifically. So I did message Emily to ask her about, you know, kind of specifics about this, mostly because I was afraid of maybe kind of stepping into territory or something that, you know, wasn't necessary for me, which is fine. You know, like that, that isn't a bad thing or anything. You know, some some spaces are meant for certain people. And I think that's that's fine. You know, I didn't want to overstep those boundaries. So kind of like the TLDR of the response she gave me was that like, she doesn't want to police who does and doesn't get to consider themselves a quote unquote bitch. And the only hard rule is, is no men. So like, I think specifically, I asked her, like, is it cool that I'm playing like an agender character, you know, uh, who might not necessarily be feminine aligned or, you know, whatever. And she said, yes, that's that's perfectly fine. And the playtest they had, they had a lot of people who did explore a bunch of different gender spectrum stuff, as as Ziva mentioned. And kind of, I think there is a lot of emphasis in this game about the quote unquote bitch component about like how people who may be branded like that, how are how are they seen in society and how they react to that, I suppose. So kind of the main component of this is that quote unquote bitch label, I guess, like pulling from straight from the book. The key is that those characters were ones who were at home in female spaces. And the follow up sentence to that is the question of how non-binary people fit into explicitly women centered spaces is a complex one, which needs to be approached with nuance and sensitivity. So even though like the start of the book does like is like this is what this game is intended for. There is another page further in the back of the book that kind of breaks that down a little bit. So it's not 
not like as just kind of reiterating as Eva said, it's not like, oh, it's only for like cis lesbians or whatever. You know, I didn't really say that super eloquently. So I think like this is a really good opportunity to talk about the use of the word bitch and how we all feel about it and the role that it plays in the game. Because at the end of the day, the way that they sort of define women and queer women in this is women who would be or people who have been socialized as female at some point in time or are welcome in female spaces who have been labeled bitches. So I think there's a really good blurb from the Kickstarter that defines how they use the word bitch. In short, because bitch is a word thrown at women who refuse to become compliant or subservient, and we wanted to embrace that. Uh, in this game, all player characters are bitches. They're women who will no longer sit down and shut up and do as they're told. And in a certain kind of horrible patriarchal society, there's no room for that sort of woman. So um, how do you all feel about the word bitch in this context? That's a word that we don't use in my house, <laughs> just for starters. And in fact, like when this game was first put on our radar, like my knee jerk reaction was sort of to be uncomfortable with it. But like this is an intentionally uncomfortable game. And I understand like the reasoning for it. It makes sense. I guess it's sort of the issue of like reclaiming words that have been used against us. So I don't usually, I don't really use it in my personal life, but in this sort of context, I guess where there is context and it's not being used as an insult, it's sort of meant in a more empowering way. Like that's a little, it's, it's a little different for me, I, but it, I still did have that like knee jerk reaction. Yeah, I'm definitely used to hearing it overwhelmingly in the sort of reclaiming sense. I, in fact, have a copy of uh, Bitch Magazine hung up on my wall in front of me. Amazing. <laughs> I've almost always been used to hearing bitch in the sort of like feminist reclaiming context of like, well, if you're going to call me a bitch for not like sitting down and shutting up and doing what you say, then great, fine, I'm a bitch. But uh, yeah, I definitely think that it can bring up some uncomfortable feelings for some people sort of analogous to the word queer in some ways, which is another word that personally I'm very comfortable with. And also that I have some reluctance to not using it as an umbrella term because of its associations with TERFs, as in that you tend to hear the people who have the biggest resistance to it are often organized under the TERF umbrella. Um, but there are genuinely people who don't like the word queer because it has been used against them so often. And I absolutely can't fault those people with having the, their uncomfortable feelings about it, just like some people are really uncomfortable with the word bitch. Yeah, it's funny because like Dorka's like on one one end of the spectrum. Ziva's kind of in the middle and I'm, I'm like on the opposite side where I'm just like, if you've listened to this podcast at all or talked to me for any five seconds, I was gonna say five <laughs> fucking seconds, which like kind of goes in my point. I swear a lot and kind of like to me, you know, not not directly related to the word bitch, but I'll circle back around to it is that like a lot of swear words are given that power of like it's bad because of, you know, how we as society treat it. But it's like it's just a word and please don't like use that as a blanket statement for like slurs and stuff like that. slurs is completely other fucking different there's like other like you know reasons slurs or slurs and you should not say those words but i'm saying like fuck or ass or bastard or you know like those kind of words and to a degree that also applies to bitch which i think because of all the kind of like feminine uh and you know sexism type stuff that's correlated to the word bitch i do tend to be a little bit more reserved with how I use that word because uh, like Ziva said like there are 
people or, you know, Dorka, you know, there are people who just don't like that word. And I don't want to be the type of person who's like, well, I'm fine with it. So like, why aren't you like I'm using it in a quote unquote good way. But I think for me, it is kind of like I personally have no issue with it. Like from my personal experience, it doesn't bother me. And I, I'm fine with it being used in like that reclamation way. And I think it's good that people are using it in that uh, reclamation way. I don't know if I addressed the question. Did I address the question? <laughs> Yeah, the question's how do you feel about the word? I think you've been pretty clear about that. Okay, yeah, thank you. Sorry. Yes, so that is kind of uh, how I feel. Also, like, you know, I try not to call people bitches because, you know, it is that, like, oh, it's, like, a feminine insult. But I don't know, like, if someone's being bitchy, to me, that's just, like, gender neutral. I try to treat it as, like, a gender neutral insult, even though, obviously, it has been in society. It is a very gendered word. Yeah, Uh, in a lot of contexts, like, with certain groups of people, I do know and understand that, like, people are using bitch or bitchy in a more like neutral way like they don't really put limits on who they'll call a bitch but in a lot of like other settings if i hear someone say it like i know they're not going to use that word to describe a man and those are the the cases where it makes me uncomfortable yeah like yeah with bitch and like queer and other words um where it's like it really depends on the person who's using it and the context they're using it in if it, if like a stranger yeah. just came up to me or like someone like someone i barely know you know and they're just like oh man that person's such a bitch i'd be like bro i don't fucking know who you are like don't just use that word like as a stranger and expect me to like not be wary or suspicious of you because it's like if i don't know who you are that just sounds like it comes off kind of like sexist <laughs> like quite yeah. yeah quite frankly so you yeah. know it's it's definitely one of those words where you do have to be mindful of but i like like it i think it's a good word in in the uh maybe linguistic it sounds it's got a nice sound to it (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think at the end of the day how i feel about it is that i'm cool calling myself a bitch i'm cool using the word bitch in most contexts if someone came up and they're like wow the manager at this place is a real bitch i'd be like wow you suck please stop immediately yeah yeah and similarly like how i feel about the word queer is kind of like i will never question any sort of lgbtqia person ever using that word for like any reason but like if a straight person uses it i'm like whoa hey there yeah Yeah, especially if they put a in front of it if they're like man you're such a queer i'm like stop it that's so rude yeah that's horrible like unless you're using it in like i don't know referring to like a class because like a lot of college courses are like, I don't know, queer studies or whatever. Like, that's just a label on a class. But if you're using it, one, as an insult, fuck you, like 110%. (laughs) And then, yeah, if you're just trying to be buddy-buddy with people when you're not in that space, it's like, that's not your place. And you should not be doing that with strangers, especially. (laughs) Right. Okay, let's go ahead and talk a little bit more about the world and mechanics of Dungeon Bitches. So I've got another really good Kickstarter blurb here. In Dungeon Bitches, the world is harsh and cold. Polite society has left you with no place, so you struck out to find one of your own, out into the dark cracks and forgotten margins. It's not an easy life, but at least it won't be a lonely one. Dungeon Bitches is a game about queer women banding together. It's about trauma. It's about community. It's about pain. It's about survival. But most of all, it's very gay. Wait, this game is gay? I can't do I this. I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> 
So Dungeon Bitches is based on the Powered by the Apocalypse system, as I mentioned earlier. So the skeleton of the game is going to be pretty similar to Monster of the Week or Mon Week, as our beloved moniker goes. The base mechanics are pretty much the same. You're only ever going to roll 2d6 and you have a variety of moves that you can use to overcome obstacles. If you need a refresher or this is your first time listening to the Eternity Archives, first of all, welcome if this is your first time. Really rough one to start on. <laughs> yeah, sorry. This one's, this one's going to be a little intense, um, but you can go back and listen to chapter two to go ahead and listen to our Mon Week arc and also a little bit more of an in-depth overview of Powered by the Apocalypse as a system. So Dungeon Bitches gives these mechanics really unique names and flavors based around this idea of queer women banding together in this harsh environment. So for example, your stats and moves are queer, subtle, hard, and soft. So queer is flirt and commune with strange powers. Subtle is escape notice, get a read on somebody, or steal. Hard covers the lash out and endure pain moves, and soft is reveal truths, heal, and share somebody's pain. So those are the the main core stats and moves that take place in this game. And then of course, there's also the different playbooks. In Dungeon Bitches, the playbooks are called deals, as in what's her deal? So for example, your deal might be the runaway nun or the wounded daughter. And then each of those have specific character moves you can use as well. I know we kind of reiterate at the start, but like the stats and moves, the moves especially, like definitely highlight what this game is about. Like reveal truths, you know, share somebody's pain or lash out endure pain. Like it is it is that kind of game and also specifically like the playbooks as well like if you decide to flip through the guidebook the art is very very cool it is also very intense like for the wounded daughter i want to say that was one of the more like detailed and gory ones yeah yeah yeah, it's intense I want to just keep reiterating it just to make sure people are okay with it. This is like a very intense, messy, emotionally, physically game. So like, I just want you guys to be prepared for that because that's that's what this game is all about. And and I don't want anyone to be like caught flat-footed or anything like that. There's no flat-footed mechanic in Powered by the Apocalypse, Pappy. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's some 3-0 shit. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't played Apocalypse World, maybe there is. <laughs> But yeah, Vappy is right. Like, this is a very intense game with a lot of violence and a lot of trauma. And we'll get a little more into that in a second. Yeah, they say uh, right on like one of the first pages of the book, this isn't a nice game, nor is it a particularly safe one. Oh, but I do want to say that a lot of pages in the guidebook are specifically devoted to like safety rules and techniques and how to make sure everyone at your table is comfortable and stays that way feels how to create like a safe environment for this sort of game and i think that's very important that's really important they talk a lot about safety tools about checking in with your players after about things like the x card because this game has a lot of trauma focused and sexual content they spend a lot of time being like don't play this game without talking about it first. And again, this isn't something that you're necessarily going to hear us um, negotiate on the podcast because we've all known each other for a really long time and we've done some discussion offline about what we're comfortable with. But if you're interested, if you're like, this sounds like a super great game, if you're interested in playing this with your friends, make sure you take the time to have these conversations. It's in the rule book. They talk about how to structure some of these conversations and like the major things you need to talk about. But this is definitely a game that you can't just like gather your friends at the dining room table and slap down some pre-made character sheets and call it a day. 
this is a game that's going to take some discussion both before and after about some of this content. And I wouldn't play with strangers either. No, no, I would definitely play with people who you trust and who you're willing to get um, into some of these themes with. Unless it's like a group therapy session, which would be a very yeah. interesting group therapy session. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to do like a consciousness raising tabletop RPG, yeah, with like your queer feminist book group, um, go for it. That sounds sick. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it would probably be pretty great. But yeah, this isn't even like there might be sexy stuff. Like there's like the one person at the table who's like, and then I kiss the succubus. This is like, like sexy stuff like that. Actually, let's go ahead and get into it. <laughs> so sex and intimacy moves um, are a large part of this game, as is um, flirting, though they do make a note that flirting isn't always sexual. Each deal has a sex move that triggers automatically Sorry, Dorka wrote some notes here and she wrote, triggers automatically in case of fucking. (laughs) So I'm just reading that as is, but also putting the blame on Dorka's shoulders for me saying the word fuck. Oh, no. The book is full of fucks. So the book says fuck fuck all the time. (laughs) So characters can choose to take intimacy moves instead, which can trigger in cases of intense emotional connection. So some of us have chosen to take sex moves. Some of us have chosen to take intimacy moves. This is something that we talked about in terms of our specific characters and in terms of our comfort level offline. I think I speak for all of us when I say that we're not huge fans of player characters um, engaging in sexual activity with each other. Um, It's a little different with NPCs, but especially with Real Zen and Linda, it feels a little weird for sort of the the group of characters that we've set up. Yes, the dynamic. There's no sexual dynamic between any of us. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And I think part of that is... We've known each other for so long now that I think, I feel like that might actually be something that would be easier to get into with a group of people that you know less well. Yeah, Yeah, actually. Totally like fuck buddy type stuff or whatever, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't generally have any interest in sexual activity between player characters, unless I'm like playing a game with my partner. And even then I wouldn't be doing that at the table, like with other people. Yeah. And so I played another Powered by the Apocalypse game monster hearts that also has sex moves so this isn't the only game that has this as a like major mechanic and i don't know i guess that was a group of people that i didn't know as well and it was uncomfortable for me there too so maybe that's just me maybe that's a a me thing if you're comfortable with that like go for it absolutely but i am glad that dungeon bitches gives us the choice of intimacy moves instead because monster hearts did not have that yeah, yeah, I both like intimacy moves for like a sexual play and asexual characters and people as well. I'm just not super into role playing sex personally. I, I agree with you on that one. That's not something I'm necessarily into, at least into it, including with like a group of people. <laughs> Yeah. Like for me personally, I don't mind if two PCs have a romantic or sexual relationship. I just don't really want to role play it because that's weird to me, especially if it's like one, an audio medium. We're basically just uh, what, like phone sexing at this point, but like other people are listening to it. And then also, yeah, I mean, that's kind of my main hang up. I don't mind if PCs have sexual or romantic relationships. I just don't want to play it out because that's weird to me but you know i'm sure there are other audio mediums that do that like i'm sure there's an audio version of 50 shades go listen to that (laughs) and i do just want to also mention that like all of these sex moves for the different deals is basically like what happens after so they don't actually require you to like play out the act yeah 
like here, I'll just uh, list one at random. The the banshee is like, when you fuck somebody, you go all out. The experience is raw, feral, and a little scary. You may suffer any amount of hurt and get that many bonds on your partner. Your partner can do likewise. So it's just like a mechanical effect that happens like from the act. Yeah, yeah it, it's about like opening yourself up and being vulnerable with someone. That's yeah. kind of what the sex and intimacy moves are about, from my reading, at least. And before we move on, I just want to end this on um, this particular discussion on one note that I think is very important. If role-playing sex between player characters or role-playing intimacy between player characters sounds like uh, something that you are interested in, that's cool. You do you. Just because we're not doing it on our podcast doesn't mean that it's like weird or that we don't want to hear about how your game went or anything like that. This is just between the three of us what we've decided to do. Yeah, yeah, for sure. However you want to play is 100% the right way to play as long as everyone at the table is comfortable. Yeah, we're not slut shaming. We're sex positive here. It's just not our dynamic. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, no kink shaming. So let's go ahead and talk about hurt and damage. So this is a much more brutal game than some of the others that we've played. So we tend to sort of um, flirt around damage, but it's not unlikely in this particular game that one of us is just going to fucking die. Forever. Yeah, forever. (laughs) If you die in the Eternity Archives, you die in real life. Um, It's been nice working with you all. (laughs) (laughs) So um, whenever one of the player characters is harmed, either physically or mentally, which I think is um, really important when you're talking about trauma, they suffer um, a mechanic called hurt, which is a marker of your state of immediate distress. So um, so this is not a game where uh, only sticks and stones can break your bones. Um, You can also be hurt by words or by fucked up stuff happening around you. At five hurt, you become broken. A broken character can't act. Um, They sort of dissociate. And if anything tries to hurt you at that point and your companions don't try to stop it in some way, you just die. Yeah, there's a decent chance one of us is going to die in this, honestly. Um, Brace yourselves. A character can recover from being broken if their companions get them to safety and take the time to go ahead and tend to their physical and emotional wounds. When a character recovers from being broken, they lose all their accumulated hurt and they take a point of damage instead. Damage should take a narrative toll and have a concrete symptom like a scar or a chronic injury, a new phobia, or some sort of long-lasting trauma. At three points of damage, you lose the character. So if you're playing like a campaign and you hit three points of damage, that character is retired, uh, meaning that they die, they give up on their quest, or they succumb to their trauma in some way. Any of those ends for your character is valid, but that character is retired and you have to start with a new character. I thought of something witty I wanted to say. I don't know if it'll still be witty if I prefaced it with that, but I was thinking like (laughs) sticks and stones may break my bones, but words also remind me of the time my parents tried to disown me. So... (laughs) Don't do that. Don't be don't be mean. Um, but I do really like the hurt and damage system. I think it's very interesting how you can like take damage, but also recover. And it'll still be like you bear your scars, but like, hey, you are still here. You're still you ish. Um, and that's good. And I, I don't know. I like that. I like stuff like that. That kind of. Um, yeah. It's so different than a lot of other games where you go to sleep for eight hours and you wake up and you have all of your health back and everything is fine. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of gamified character history. I think it's something that should be a part of every good role playing experience, which is that the stuff your character experiences influences your character and they grow and they change over time. And I think that a lot of RPGs leave that in the narrative part of play. I really like that this one explicitly has it affect your character in a way you can mark on a character sheet because then you 
you got to do it. You can't just skip over it and be like, oh, they take one damage. It's fine Um, because the game really encourages you to talk about, you know, what is that damage? What did it come from? How does it affect your character in the future? There's only so much more your character can take. I don't know. I just am a really big fan of when games put consequences in the system and don't just put it in the GM's pocket as like, you know, you should encourage your character to talk about trauma or to talk about how this changes them, but um, we're not going to make you do it. You don't have to do it. I think it's really important that characters change over time. Yeah. And it also leaves it up to interpretation, like what those consequences and penalties are, which I also think is important. So you don't feel like totally helpless, which even though that is kind of like a theme of the game, but I think it's important that like that even if the character feels helpless, the player does not. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. So um, another major mechanic in this game is bonds. Bonds are a measure of emotional connection with other players and NPCs. Bonds are tracked between individual characters. So for example, Zen's bonds with uh, Rill are actually tracked separately from Zen's bonds with Linda. And Zen's bonds with Linda and Linda's bonds with Zen also actually can be different. Bonds can be spent to do additional healing or damage, um, to add or subtract to the roles of others, or to give others experience in exchange for favors. And then players can also have bonds with NPCs and vice versa. Uh, These can be used for good or for bad. So this is basically a way to track and use relationships between characters in a way that makes sense in game mechanics. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because I don't think Monster of the Week had anything like this, but I want to say that other Powered by the Apocalypse systems generally do. Like for Urban Shadows, I can't remember the exact word, but it's basically bonds. I think it might be called debts or something instead. You basically get like a quote unquote token, you know, just a marker of some sort to be like, okay, you have a debt on this person and you can enact this debt to put forth some kind of mechanical buff or repercussion which, yeah, Monster of the Week, I don't think has that, which is kind of interesting. So this is, at least for me, this is something that will be new to keep track of. Yeah, and Monster Hearts has something like this, too. Monster Hearts has strings, which is like, I guess, pulling other people's strings. Oh. Hmm. This is new to me, too, but I really like it. I don't know. I like the idea of using the relationships between characters in a way that's codified in the rules instead of the way that Monster of the Week does it, where it's like you have these relationships and cool, go forth. <laughs> and that can be meaningful, too. And not not everything has to be has to be codified for it to be meaningful in the role playing sense. But I am in favor of putting things in the structure and then letting players decide how that actually plays out. But just reminding everyone that, like, this is an important part of the game. It's important that you keep track of what these bonds are. So another unique feature of Dungeon Bitches is it both has sort of a traditional play style where the game is written and run by the GM, which I would like to note in Dungeon Bitches stands for Dungeon Mistress, which I think is pretty great. Amazing. But in this case, we are actually running it GMless, and there's a lot of tools built into the game to let it run GMless. So this is going to be a new turn of events for us to be running this without a GM. We did rats and rocks, but that was a little uh, <laughs> scuffed true. and we rough. More, we more traded off who is GMing in rats and rocks. Well, that's kind of what the GMless system is here, isn't it? Where it's like yeah, we'll be taking bit. some NPCs, and then we kind of rotate around. That's true. We did all write some NPCs that the others can play. There's lots of random tables in the back of this book. Um, and so if you're interested in playing GMless, there's, like I said, a lot of tools to help you do that, to help make your dungeon exciting and interesting without having to write a whole campaign first. 
We also, um, as we mentioned, are probably going to end up heading into some heavy character stuff today, both in terms of what we wanted out of this arc and in terms of the tools and environment that are provided um, from Dungeon Bitches. Because it's GMless, you know, we can't necessarily write like a light fluffy arc to go around this. Uh, Whatever happens is going to happen. Um, I also feel like it would not really be a fair representation of Dungeon Bitches if you were like, you go to a dungeon, it's a toy store, you run around and you fight some robots and you go home. It's fine. Everything's nice. If no one is traumatized in this toy store, then we did it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Y'all ready to get into character creation a little bit? Sure. Yeah, I think so. Okay, so as we mentioned, um, character creation is based around these deals, which are analogous to the playbooks from Monster of the Week. Um, In addition to choosing a deal, which is more or less like a character class, uh, there's also three questions that each character has to answer. And the three questions are designed to help you dig into who your character really is. So everyone has the same first question, which is what are you running from? And then the second and third questions are deal specific. So for example, if you're playing like the disgraced princess, which is just basically just a, you know, a princess who's been disgraced and is running away from her old life. The second question is, what did you do to disgrace yourself? And third question is, what do you miss from your old life as a princess? Uh, There's also two relationships in each deal, which lets you define relationships with other characters. One should be a PC and the other should be an NPC. And then the nature of what those relationships are varies between the deals. So I'm going to use the Disgraced Princess as an example again. Um, One of the relationships is another dungeon bitch admires you. Why? Is it merely your station in life or does she see something in you the others don't? You get a bond on her. And the other is, do any of your noble family want you back? If so, you get a bond on whoever is doing the most to bring you back. Otherwise, whoever kicked you out gets a bond on you. As we mentioned before, there are four major stats in Dungeon Bitches, which is soft, subtle, hard, and queer. Each deal has two strong stats that start at plus one and two weak stats that start at minus two. And then during character creation, every player can add an additional plus one to the stats. That's pretty much it for character creation in Dungeon Bitches. It's a lot of like emotional questions involved. And as you're doing things like assigning your stats, um, answering your questions, choosing your deal moves or your sex moves, it informs a lot about your character. But in terms of like the stuff you write down in your character sheet, it's actually pretty simple. So now that we've talked about some of the guidelines for pulling together our dungeon bitches, let's go ahead and talk about our specific characters. So um, for Linda, I ended up choosing the deal, The Invisible Girl. And I want to talk a little bit more about that once we actually get into the gameplay. It will become clear why I chose The Invisible Girl for Linda. She starts with plus one bonds to both Zen and Rill. And her stats to start with are negative one hard, plus two soft, plus one subtle, and negative one queer. Wait, so you have bonds on us already? Like you can enact game mechanics by using your bonds. I thought we would all go in with plus one bond on each other. Yeah, no, I just thought it made sense for the three of us since like we've been working together for a while. Yeah, that works. So Linda's questions on her sheet are, what are you running from? What first taught you that you needed to be invisible? And what about you do you wish that you didn't have to hide? I don't necessarily want to reveal those answers right now, but we will definitely get into some of those as we play. Maybe in our post-game discussion we can... uh... Yes. If we didn't cover it in-game. Yeah, absolutely. So her specific bitch moves that are associated with the invisible girl are going along with it, which is essentially acting as a follower 
and watchful, which is patiently waiting and observing, which is extremely Linda. And then instead of a sex move for Linda, I ended up taking an intimacy move. I don't necessarily have a label for Linda, but as I was playing together her character, I thought a sex move just didn't make a ton of sense for her. It just didn't like feel right. So instead I swapped out with her intimacy move, which is hidden depths, which is essentially letting your true self be seen by your companion or the person that you're interacting with. Okay, so for Zen, I went with the Amazon, which is the violent bitch. I thought about the disgraced princess because she has a lot of that aspect to her too, but like just the uh, the questions and the moves didn't really seem to fit as well. I just felt like her situation is a little different. So her questions are, what are you running from? Of course. Who was the first person you killed? And why do you enjoy violence? So I guess my, my questions aren't as, like, under lock and key as uh, Linda's, maybe, but I think I'll just go along with that and um, reveal those at the end. And so my stats, the Amazon strong stats are hard and subtle, and the weak stats are soft and queer, which, I don't know, I wouldn't have uh, expected that, like, the Amazon was more subtle than queer, and I bumped up my queer to zero. My moves are Endurance, which are you're just tougher than your companions. You can take an extra two points of hurt before you're broken. You're at breaking point after six hurt and become broken if you take a seventh. So that's pretty useful. The other one is Effortless Violence, which is violence comes naturally to you. When you fight, you can easily deflect, dodge, or shrug off the effects of your victim's attempts to fight back. You're far less at risk when things turn nasty. When you lash out successfully, if you would take any hurt as a consequence, you take one less hurt than you otherwise would. Oh, those are cool moves. Yeah. Uh, The Amazon has some other cool ones, too, that I just didn't take because they didn't fit as well. But there's cool stuff in this book. And so I didn't really commit to whether I was taking a sex move or an intimacy move, because I feel like despite our reluctance to like use sex moves between PCs, I think it is like a core aspect of the game and shouldn't be like overlooked entirely. And there are like NPCs available for which it wouldn't be, I guess, out of line for me to use those moves on. So I've written down both my sex move and my intimacy move. And it's kind of like whichever one I use first is going to be the one I lock into. But the sex move is good, clean fun, which is to Despite your grim demeanor, you're surprisingly good in bed, and the experience is rewarding for both of you. You both get a bond on each other. And the intimacy move is, you're alright, babe, which is (laughs) something breaks through the grim facade you maintain, reaching somewhere tender inside you. You realize she matters to you more than you'd expected, and she gets two bonds on you. Ooh, that's Those are cute. so wholesome. That is wholesome. <laughs> Those moves are wholesome, and the um, the other moves are very, very not wholesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Effortless violence. So, for real, I picked the Lantern Girl for their deal. For the purposes of this explanation, I'm just going to refer to it as Lantern Child, just because, uh, personally... I don't like the kind of uh, feminine connotation words for for myself or for Rail there. But this is specifically just like a thing for Rail specifically. And we didn't really touch on it, but kind of throughout the book, they mentioned that like you can hack and change stuff if you want. Like the game's really good for that kind of thing. So that's also really cool that the game is so accommodating for that kind of thing. Just going to use that for this. And it is specifically just for like Rail, though. Lantern adult baby. Yeah. (laughs) 
the lantern cinnamon roll. (laughs) Um, (laughs) All right. So the three questions for this deal is what are you running from? What is missing in your life? And what terrifies you most? Just to go with the themes, I will keep that lock and key. Just uh, uh, hopefully people will kind of I'll get to show people what the answers to those are. And then for the lantern girl slash child, uh, the stats. So soft and queer start at plus one and hard and subtle start at minus one. And of course, my plus one, I put it into subtle so that I'm a zero just because real specifically, I wouldn't I think I would rather switch it and make like queer zero and subtle plus one. But just sticking with the deal here, uh, that's just that's just the way it is. And then the two skills I picked are a deer in headlights. When confronted with danger rather than fighting or fleeing, your overwhelming instinct is to freeze, clutching your lantern for support. Overcoming this limitation is difficult, but the more you manage it, the more confident you find yourself. While your lantern is lit, you take negative two to rolls to lash out or escape notice. Whenever you successfully escape serious danger without doing either, you gain one experience. I forgot to mention this up top, but as is in the name, the kind of thing with this with this deal is that you get like a lantern that, you know, leads you through the dark, probably metaphorically, but also literally. And that's that's good shit. I love that. I eat that shit up. Delicious. Feed me. Uh, <laughs> and then my second deal is still working stuff out. You're still uncertain about your place in this world and are uncertain how to respond to the overtures of your fellow dungeon bitches. Whenever a fellow dungeon bitch flirts with you, shares your pain, heals you, or uses a unique move that involves intimacy between you, you may ask her one of the questions listed below and get an honest answer. Question one, why are you doing this? Question two, do you trust me? Question three, are you frightened? And question four, are you sincere? If you do, they gain an additional bond on you. So that's just for that good, juicy character delving character development stuff once again feed me that stuff is great and then earlier i was like hey can you guess who has an intimacy move and who has a sex move and this will tie out your predictions here so for real i picked a sex move which is just the one that comes with the deal it is called a moment's clarity when you fuck somebody things seem simple and safe in the afterglow you can ask one of the questions for the moves reveal truths or commune with strange powers or still working stuff out if you have it and get a truthful answer no need to roll yeah so for reals thing i don't want to get too much too into it i didn't want to pick intimacy because it's like that's not really for them it's not really piercing any boundaries necessarily if someone is like intimate or close with them because they are just like a sad adult cinnamon roll and i feel like that's very easy to do with them as long as you're nice to them and you kind of have patience um which is why i did go with the sex move because that's kind of like that's something you would definitely have to like pierce their armor for if if you were to do that but ideally we'll go deeper into that we'll see All right. So now that we've gone ahead and discussed our bitches, y'all ready to go into that dungeon? Kind of. Oof, I'm not sure, but I am a little scared. (laughs) It sure is. Let's let's do our best. We'll all hold hands. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Nice. Hey, everyone. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. I just wanted to step in to remind you that if you'd like to show us your support, please leave us a review on Podchaser or Apple Podcasts. Or if you're looking for something more exciting, 
you can now support us with a monthly membership to our Ko-fi page. Members get access to our Discord server, behind-the-scenes looks at GM notes and character sheets, and other exclusive content. Head over to ko-fi.com slash the Eternity Archives to take a look. Now, we'll be back to the show in just a minute, but before we continue, here's an ad for another show from the Be Gay Roll Dice Podcast Network. Once you've finished our episode, go ahead and give them a listen. Thanks, and enjoy the rest of the show. What does a barbarian war criminal, an undead cultist, a pyromaniac goblin, a hot topic reject, and a bard whose family is very, very cursed, all have in common? Well, that's very simple. They're all our main cast. We are Goblets and Gays, a mostly Pathfinder 2E podcast set in a homebrew world. If Pathfinder isn't your thing, we have all sorts of other awesome games for you to enjoy. Join us every Wednesday for episodes of our main campaign, Blood of Kings, as these chaotic gays attempt to locate some missing royalty. Don't forget to follow us on all social media channels at Goblets and Gays to stay up to date with our amazing projects. And remember to eat your vegetables. It's been a few weeks since you got back from your adventure in Amilta under the watchful eyes of normal human Magnolia. And as usual, things in the library have been calm and relaxing. The familiar pace of the time in between your missions. What have you been doing over the past few weeks? I think Rill has been doing a lot more cooking. I can't remember if I said that last time, but that's what they're doing a lot of. Since being in the library, I think they've kind of grown more accustomed and comfortable to trying to like explore stuff that they didn't really get to focus on as much. So yeah, lots of cooking. If you guys had any requests, they're gonna they're willing to try it <laughs> uh, to make rather. Yeah, what are what are your guys' favorite like meals from your world? <laughs> Horse pie. Horse pie. Horse pie. Yeah, like a like a chicken pot pie, right? Ugh, worm tart. Oh my god. Okay. I think Rill isn't settled, uh, but they're also like, eh, yeah, well, you know, like, it's a magic kitchen. Like, I don't have to kill the horse myself. I can just open the freezer and there's just <laughs> chopped up horse cubes. So, yeah, I, I can do that. God, you're not even using fresh horse. <laughs> okay. If you can kill me a horse, <laughs> then I will make you fresh horse. Watch the fucked up thing is like you think that this is like Rill's like, okay, yeah, this is like a savory pie. And it's like, no, it's meant to be like a chocolate pie with like horse. (laughs) Oh, like mincemeat, but with meat. Yeah, like sweet mincemeat pie. (laughs) Oh, Oh. Linda's favorite earth meal is probably chips and queso with a margarita, of course. But that's not a meal, Linda. (laughs) Okay, it can be. It can be. uh, It's not a meal with that attitude. Maybe it's like the enchilada, like chicken enchiladas, and also chips and queso, and also a margarita. Linda is one of those people who always wants to have office birthdays at the Mexican restaurant across the street, and she's gets <sighs> she gets really into it. She always wants them to bring over the sombrero for the birthday boy or girl or other coworker. <laughs> I just really hate that you describe that. And my old office was literally an office building across the street from a Mexican <laughs> restaurant there, where we did have release parties at. Yeah, I think Rill would just dress up those those nachos and queso. Uh, you know, like there would be the standard queso and then kind of off to the side there is more of it like a seven layer bean dip type thing but maybe you know not exactly that in depth but just a little bit more dressed up so that's more of a meal you can have five layers yeah you can have five layers uh and four of them are queso but one of them is either beans or 
or some kind of protein just so you can get all your nutrients. Thank Aww. you. They would even try baking their own chips, I feel like. Ooh. You know, why not? Like, it's the library. You have everything you could possibly need or want. So it's like, okay, yeah, I'll try making my own tortilla chips. That sounds excellent. Well, Zen is still being kind of shady. She definitely shows up to eat Rill's cooking and is definitely still sword fighting and doing all of that. But then there are like those stretches of time where you're not really sure where she is or what she's doing and she's still not talking about it. At one point, Linda probably catches Zen, like, coming out of Joseph's room, is like, what? Really <laughs> flustered about it. She'll say, ah, yes, we were definitely sleeping together which oh makes God. you think that that's probably not what they were doing <laughs> i am torn between linda like being really annoying and be like zen do you have a boyfriend do you have something you want to tell us but also like linda being smart enough to be like why would you say that to me there must be some kind of secret 50 50 i really don't know which i think those those two urges are fighting inside of linda so she just kind of looks at you suspiciously and smiles and makes a note that she's gonna get to the bottom of this damn it what happens if we ask joseph well i think if you ask joseph about it he'll be like oh she will kill me if i say something that's fair oh boy yeah uh hmm okay real doesn't know how to approach this <laughs> linda all of a sudden asks zen if zen wants to have a sleepover like once every couple of weeks and is like i'll make drinks and oh we can watch a movie and ask real we'll have a big sleepover it'll be so fun we can play truth or dare and she'll like look really cuttingly at zen <laughs> oh god i think once the uh once the concept of a sleepover is explained to her she'll be all for it okay here's my other question is it the same time every time? No. Okay, fuck. All right. Well, there goes my plan. Not that time really has any meaning yeah. here, as far fair, as I fair. know. Yeah. What Linda's been doing the last couple of weeks is arranging for the biggest sleepover ever. Well, not the biggest. Has been arranging for the most intense sleepover ever, with as many opportunities to get Zen to spill her guts as possible. There's going to be so much sleeping. <laughs> So she's gonna find like a spare room in the library and make sure everyone has sleeping bags. And she's gonna have popcorn and cookies and bottles of wine and all her favorite sleepover movies, which are probably mostly starring Molly Ringwald. And she might make an exception for like some some like modern e rom coms, but probably more like thirteen going on thirty. Oh heck yes! I love that. It's such a good sleepover movie. And um, yeah, I don't know, like cootie catchers and all sorts of games and truth or dare and stuff like that. So anyway, Linda's set up a super over the top sleepover party. So she invites uh, Rill and Zen, and of course uh, Dumpling, and she's just gonna keep it small, just keep it to the core team this time. Um, though she makes a mental note that next time she's definitely going to invite Desi and um, normal human Magnolia and Hope um, and probably Joseph if he's cool with it. I don't know how Joseph feels about sleepovers. She feels like maybe the others are more familiar with the concept. Well, he's from a world where if you like see a woman, Yeah, you ankle, have to get married like... immediately. So <laughs> she'll find a way to, to delicately broach the subject so he's comfortable with the idea. I mean, at this point, he's been at the library for like, what, four to five weeks, right? Because it's been two, no, probably longer than that. Yeah. He's seen lots of women at this point. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but he probably blushes and thinks about how he has to save them all or something dumb like that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so Linda keeps it small. She invites 
Rill and Zen, how are you all on board for sleepover night? Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. So it's the night of the big sleepover and Linta ushers you into her new sleepover room she set up and there's streamers and balloons and like the comfiest pile of pillows and somehow she found like matching sleeping bags for everybody. Rills is maybe like Pokemon or Animal Crossing, something that's like very cute. <laughs> Linda's is um, like those patterns that look like the floor of arcades. So they're not matching at all. Well, no, Linda likes like like 80s and 90s uh, stuff. Like neon. No, I'm saying you said they were matching sleeping bags, but one's oh, Pokemon I meant they- and one's neon. <laughs> they match to each person. So Zen's is covered in swords. Oh, okay. The print is like cool like ass real swords. swords that she like taped onto the bag. <laughs> 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 And she's got goodie bags for everyone and lays out all the snacks and um, sits on a really comfy looking pillow and does a little like pity pats next to her. Like, come on in, settle on in. It's time for sleepover time. It's like you looked away for like one second and then a rail's already on like the pile of pillows because they're just like, oh, Linda made a nest for me. How kind. <laughs> <laughs> and so they're just curled up on the nest like a cat with like tail curled up, wings folded on the pillow nest. <laughs> Croissant shaped and asleep. Yeah. Like, it so quickly. Like, they just passed out. <laughs> That's not exactly what Linda planned, but it does give her the advantage of now being able to interrogate Zen some more. Yeah, you said it was the most <laughs> intense sleepover, and that's what Rill's doing. Rill's gonna be doing some really intense sleeping. sleeping. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Linda pours Zen an enormous glass of wine and hands it to her and says, Well, I guess it's just the two of us then. Time for some girl talk. You hear a little noise, it kind of like, if a cat could clear its throat, that's what it would sound like, I guess. And Dumpling's sitting up, holding a tiny margarita glass, waiting for a Philip. <laughs> when a cat clears its throat, that's called a hairball. No, that's not, that's what... <laughs> <laughs> is it time for cat it noises? It is time for cat noises again. This one's grosser. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. That Dumpling wants some margaritas, and Dumpling also wants to join in on Girl Talk. Then Linda does a little pat next to her uh, to invite Dumpling on down and says, Well, you're pretty smart. It's probably (laughs) fine. And pours Dumpling just a little glass. Just a little bit. Yes. Pinky up. They sip at the margarita. That's adorable. We're like those people who give their dogs weed. Yeah, exactly like those people who give their dogs weed. I mean, there is dog wine. There is dog wine. Yeah, it's what? just not made out of grapes. Yeah, but it's not like actual, it's not actual alcohol, like, but it's called dog wine. What's it for? It's just not cute, drinking I alone, I guess. It's just, <laughs> it's for people who, where wine is their personality. So it's for Linda. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought Linda's personality was margarita. Linda's personality is more margaritas, but, but she can, she can be kind of a wine mom or wine aunt when the moment calls for it. That was Linda's second secret, is that she's actually a wine mom. She's not <laughs> she's a, a wine mom. She's actually mom. a Budweiser mom. Oh, <laughs> no, Linda's definitely on, on Team Margaritas. So so Linda pulls out an old board game. This thing looks fucking ancient. Like, maybe she found it in the library, or maybe she's just had it. It's one of those electronic ones where, like, you go around a mall and boys call you, and they're like, hey, you want to go surfing? It's, it's one of those. <laughs> those exist? 
Yeah, have you never? Well, yeah, like like um, was it like mystery date or whatever? Never heard of it. Interesting. There's, okay. There's also like weird sexist board games from the 80s and 90s. Yeah, I've seen them, but never actually played Same. one. Uh, we were not allowed to play them as kids because they were sexist and also made noise. <laughs> a a one-two punch for toys that were not a good fit for my house. So anyway, um, so Linda pulls that out and lays it in front of Zen and goes, "You want to play a little game?" Yeah, absolutely. What is this? It's called Mystery Boy. And you have to go around the little mall and you have to buy yourself outfits so that when the Mystery Boy calls you, you can go on a date with him looking very fresh and um, and fleek. What is fleek? Before Linda can explain what fleek is, she notices that tugging in the back of her mind that she has now associated with the journal. And sure enough, when she digs it out from under one of the giant sleepover pillows and flips to it, there is a new note in it that says, report to book drop immediately. And she gives Zen a funny look and says, oh, does your journal say this? Are we going out right now? Oh, I wanted to play mystery date. Yeah, I think at the same time, Zen feels the tugging of her own journal. And when she opens it up, she sees the same thing. It's always in her handwriting. It's always in her own handwriting. And this time's no exception, but it does seem... It seems more scribbled, more rushed this time. So that's also a little unusual. Zen pulls, like, a biscuit out of her goodie bag and throws it at where she assumes Rail's head is. Yeah, you just hear, like, a... Uh. I'm imagining that video of the the pig under the blankets and you put with the person puts like the snacks in front of it and it like comes out of the blankets. Yeah, yeah just like that. Uh, their head pokes out with their little ram horns. They put the biscuit in their mouth, not with their hands. They just like put their mouth over the biscuit that's like on the pillow. And then they they'd be like, oh, I guess that's what that like vibrating was. And so they look at their book and uh, yeah, similar to Zen's, but instead of scribbled, it's like in cursive. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> um, it's their cursive, but they're like, I don't know what this is. Uh, this is kind of uh, weird, right? Like, usually there's an objective and uh, like a location. This just says this. So I guess our objective is to report to the book drop. I suppose so. Yeah, that's a super easy job. Like... I'm just going to be winning everything. Today I'm going to win the sleepover. We're going to win the quest. Well. Uh, let's just. <laughs> maybe there's someone else anchoring for us there already. Oh, maybe. That would make more sense. I, this is a little odd. Yeah. Um, hmm. What's the worst that could happen, huh? Rill's not convinced, but they don't want to say anymore because they don't know if they're just being paranoid, uh, uh, you know, for no reason. So they would just follow y'all. I suppose our sleepover's gonna have to wait, friends. Let's, uh, let's go check this out. Hopefully it is just to go to the book drop. We can come right back and get back to Mystery Boy. Mystery Boy. <laughs> what? What? What did I miss? Linda's gonna gesture at the board game and just go, Mystery Boy. That's a board game. That's not a boy. Um, but all right. And they start heading towards the book drop. Yeah, Linda's going ahead of there as well. We're all going together this time. I guess last time we, we did too. We also can't but... go together last time. <laughs> We're getting really good at coordination, y'all. Yeah. So as you all make your way down to the book drop, you pass through the familiar sights and sounds of the library. But when you get to the book drop, there is something that's a little bit more unfamiliar. Instead of a friendly face or perhaps a new team member waiting uh, to anchor, you find that the book drop is empty. 
There aren't even signs of someone maybe waiting around the corner. The uh, familiar anchoring chair lies empty. No one has left anything here or seems to be approaching. The book drop is silent, almost eerily silent. Uh, hello? Zen sees no problem with this. Zen says, well, maybe we beat them here. I suppose we can wait for just a a few minutes. Uh, It is usually good to, you know, know what we're doing before we just hop on in. Okay, but usually there's, like, other people who aren't doing missions here, and usually the book has an objective or at least, like, a a drawing. As you all are talking amongst yourselves and waiting for someone to show up, suddenly you feel another tugging. Not like the tug in the back of your mind to have you look at your journal, but something more, more bodily and much more forceful. And as you turn, you realize with horror that the void between the bookcases seems to be stretching out at you. You feel almost like the inky void has wrapped tentacle around you and begins to pull you in. You might try to resist, but there's nothing you can do. And you're pulled through the familiar void forcefully. You're swept off your feet before you feel the familiar suffocating feeling of the void. And when you open your eyes, you're somewhere like the library, but not the library itself. Even worse, you're alone. And that's where we'll pick up next time here on the Eternity Archives. The Eternity Archives is hosted, produced, and edited by Dorka, Bappy, and Siva. Find us on Twitter at, at @thearchivespod or online at theeternityarchives.com. Our intro music is Paint the Sky by Hans Adam, and sound effects are obtained from zapsflat.com. Check out our show notes for more information and some helpful resources. This chapter was sponsored by Martha Miller, and editing assistance for this episode was provided by Nikki from Beholder to No One. Consider supporting us by telling your friends about us, or leave us a tip at our Ko-fi page, ko-fi.com slash theeternityarchives. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Be gay! Roll dice! An LGBTQIA actual play podcast network.